Shulk Yates is a self-proclaimed towering giant of the energy business. After graduating magnum cum laude, laude daude, we like to party from Rice University with a BA in political science and plenty of BS. He later ran product design for Apple where Steve Jobs proclaimed him so valuable that if Chuck left, I'd be reduced to wearing nothing but black turtlenecks for all time. Chuck joined the Houston office of Stevens Incorporated, the Little Rock, Arkansas investment bank, where he strove to do well, but not well enough to get promoted to Little Rock. After figuring out he was a really crappy investment bank, he moved on to the principal side of business, where he fared not much better. But as everyone who has spent more than 30 seconds with Chuck knows, he did the legendary Silver Heel deal. Interestingly enough, Chuck once won a bet from Superman, where the loser had to wear his underwear on the outside of his clothes. Despite all of these achievements, in the post-COVID spring of 2020, Chuck was shit-canned from his gig as a managing partner. It did make Wall Street Journal so at least he had that going for him. But I think comedy, by basic rule, is somebody's got to get hurt. That's the rule of comedy. Someone's <laughs> got to get hurt. You slip on a banana peel and fall on a pillow? Yeah, not funny. <laughs> <laughs>Chuck Yates Needs a Job podcast. We're uh, on episode four, I believe. So congratulations on getting to four episodes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, but anyway, today, this is awesome. So literally the second funniest person I've ever met in my life we have on today, Tishon Shannon. Tishon's background, I met him when he was a stand-up comedian here in Houston he then went to write for In Living Color. He then went to write for Leno. He then went to Saturday Night Live where he won an Emmy, no less. Hell yeah, buddy. And he used the name Chuck Yates in what, two skits, I think? Was it two skits? I think he yeah. two skits. I always throw my friends' names <laughs> in sketches. Exactly. And, uh, and then I always take credit for this. I don't know if you ever, but I used to leave you voicemail messages with jokes all the time when yeah. you were at Saturday Night Live. I remember. One of them made it on the air. What was it? That was, that was the whole thing when I called up and said, you know, George Bush, he's not going to offer virgins. He's going to offer porn stars yeah. really slutty. So, what, right what, there. Take what, a victory lap, Chuck. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Tishon, it's awesome to have you here. It's good to be here. Do you, know, do you remember when we met? Uh, we met through Charlie. Yep. And who's uh, Charlie? Charlie is my brother, the funniest man Chuck Yates has ever met. And uh, me too, I guess. I've met a lot of funny people. Yeah, he's up there. He's top three. He's my biggest influence. He's everything I am is because of him. So the way I met, because I don't actually know when we met. I was sort of asking, oh, hey, okay. do you no, remember? No, I just remember you were his buddy who went to Rice who he made fun of. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's cool. He went to Rice. I always make fun of him. He'll buy the tacos afterwards. We're all good. But no, I met Charlie because Charlie was opening one night at the Laugh Stop for somebody. I forget who. And I heckled him. I made the mistake uh. of, of heckling. And he just let me have it all night. And so when the, the middle act came up, 
I whispered to Kim, hey, I, you know, I'm going to run to the bathroom. And Charlie was in the bar. You know how the bar was yeah, around yeah. back. And we wound up talking all night. I met, I, I missed the headliner. Kim came wandering out wow. after the shows and where the hell are you? And we wound up going to eat dinner with uh, Charlie. And the, the coolest thing about Charlie that I know you know, and I'm going to slightly embarrass you, although I think that's impossible. But the coolest thing about Charlie is you said biggest influence. He was your biggest fan. I mean, the way that guy talked about you and literally for about six months, it's like, God, you got to go see my brother, Tishon. He's the funniest guy, all that. That's super cool. That makes me feel wonderful. Yeah, no, no there was a, uh, yeah, no, I mean, he was six years older than me and was like my hero. Yeah. And, and uh, it was, uh, dude, crushed me, crushed <laughs> me when he died, man. Yeah. Just still not past it. Still, if I ever go near it, I just, uh, it just breaks me, man. He was such a good dude and such a such a great human and that's a bummer and you know i just think like dude he would be living in pat's garage right now it would be <laughs> the coolest thing right now so what was your what was your favorite charlie bit or or joke um and and you know what was cool is I found some YouTube stuff on him about six months ago. We've been uh, I every once in a while track down and I've got videos. I gotta move to CDs, then to digital, and eventually get them. No, we have so much stuff. You know what? Uh, and it wasn't a bit, but it was a story I would make him tell me. So a friend of ours, Dave Lamont, is. Uh, is working a gig. So it's a string of one-nighters. Okay. And you're in Beaumont the first night, and then you drive to Nacogdoches or wherever. So it's just a string of one-nighters. And he ends up working with this guy who's in his 70s. Uh, so they work the night before at whatever thing. And uh, he just met this human being. Doesn't know him. They performed together. I'm sure they talked all of 10 minutes. And then it was like, hey, what time are you driving? Why don't we just follow each other? Okay, great. So they're driving to the next gig, separate cars. And Dave Lamont's following the guy. And then all of a sudden, the car just streaks over like four lanes. It pulls over onto the shoulder. And Lamont has no idea. And he pulls over. And as he pulls up to stop behind the guy, the old man jumps out of his car panic and runs to the back of the car and just rips his pants down and starts shitting everywhere. <laughs> just fucking uh, on the side of the road. And his fucking balls are swinging into the <laughs> shit. They're hanging and it's fucking just exploding everywhere. And Lamont gets out of the car kind of walks up and the guy just looks over at him and starts crying and then collapses into all the shit that's on the side of the road. And Dave Lamont's just like sitting there going, I just met this guy. How am I involved in this? The guy throws Lamont his keys and he goes in the trunk 
And he goes, there's, there's like eight rolls of toilet paper. So now I'm thinking, how often does this happen? <laughs> and dude, Charlie would tell me this story. <laughs> and he would laugh. And he would... And he couldn't talk. And I made him tell me the story at least once every three or four months. And I would laugh so hard, the back of my head would hurt. Like I'm having some type of aneurysm. And it was, and it's obviously a very sad story, but um, it's, uh, dude, that was my favorite thing. And I swear I would make him tell it to me every three or four months. Oh, that's awesome. And, oh. And I could see him telling you that story, chewing his straw. You oh, know, chewing was his like, straw, no. And crying to where he couldn't even get it out. And then he would, he had to his breath. Dude, that's my favorite. He had so many good bits. I could can't even remember, but that one I would make him do. And I just told my twelve-year-old daughter finally that story because, and it, and it, this story is a good story. But the way he would tell it and the way I loved it, that's that's my favorite Charlie bit. Making him <laughs> tell me that story, I, uh... and the and the greatest storyteller ever. Oh yeah, no, no, no. unbelievable. No, no, Charlie, Charlie was great. My the bit that I saw, I saw two bits the other day on YouTube that I hadn't thought of in you know eighteen years. And uh, one was the, well, you know, I was out back behind the comedy club and there was this homeless guy sitting around eating in the dumpster. And man, I just really hate to see it, so I shut the lid on him. Don't worry, I put a big old rock on there. He's not getting out. <laughs> Snatched his donut and I took off. Dude, so, I did that joke all the time. That's a brilliant joke. Oh, it's a great, it's a great joke. And the other thing about Charlie that that I think help will help kind of fill in some stuff for the audience is, I mean, he looked like the singer Meatloaf, right? I he mean, kind of looked like Meatloaf. Yeah, yeah, he was just a big fat dude, long hair. But, you know, just this gentle, gentle soul. Oh, the sweetest human being. So one time I go pick him up at LAX, and that's when you could go to the gate, long before right. terrorists ruined everything. And Lyle Lovett gets off the plane first. And then uh, you could just hear a little buzz. And, hey, there's a, that's Lyle Lovett. Right. That's Lyle Lovett. That's Lyle Lovett. And Charlie was probably four people behind him. And I immediately start going, there's his roadie. That's Lyle Lovett's roadie. That's Lyle Lovett's roadie. I know him. And people were like, what is he? I don't know. It's not. It's just. The the other thing I thought of when I was thinking of Charlie the, the other day is he had this thing where he would go up to either B-grade celebrities or people that look like celebrities, and he'd just fanboy on them like they were actually that person. And I think the 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 just like peak Charlie Shannon of that example was, and you'll get this because you're an Astros guy. Art Howe is in a restaurant somewhere, and we show up, and Charlie goes over, whispers something in his ear, and comes back, and I'm like, "What'd you say?" And he said, "I wished him, you know, it's been five years since he retired. I wished him uh, good luck on his Hall of Fame bid." <laughs> 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 and he did it with just a straight face and he was serious and so okay so you start doing stand-up you mentioned the comedy workshop i think one of the things most people don't know 
Houston was actually kind of a hotbed. Dude, for, Houston for, was great. I mean, we were kind of the birthplace of Kennison. Hicks, Kennison. Uh, so, and, and by the way, present company excluded, Kennison's my favorite stand-up comedian. Dude, how funny. So give funny. me some Kennison stories. Okay, so I move to L.A. for the summer in 1985. And so Kennison had left. Kennison started here. And then him and Bill Hicks, Carl LeBeau, and Riley Barber moved to L.A. together. Dude, this is great. This is this is such classic stand-up. So they're going to do a big show before they leave so they can have some money when they get to uh, L.A. to live on and try to, you know, give you some time to break in. So they rent out the Tower Theater, and they're <laughs> going to do Comics on the Lamb. And... Uh, Long story short, they go out to L.A. $5,000 in debt. (laughs) (laughs) The show doesn't work. So they move out there. So when I start doing stand-up here, Hicks has just moved back. I know about Kennison. Um, So I moved to L.A. for the 85. And I go up to Sam at the uh, comedy store. I go, hey, I'm a, I'm from Houston. I'm a friend of Bill's. And he, he goes, come here, brother. And he's wearing a trench coat. And he puts his arm around me. We're going to have some fun, me and you. So nicest guy. It's before he's broke. He has filmed the Rodney special that really makes him take okay, off. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it hasn't aired yet. And it's airing in like August or September. And so this is June. And I meet him. And he closes every night at the comedy store. And some of the most amazing, it's even, I think it's beyond stand-up, you know? I mean, there's like, it's more than stand-up. It's him doing stand It's like, like if you want the best stand-up in the world, it's, Jay Leno. There's no one better of right. the art of standing up there and swinging. No one better. Right. But Kennison is different. And there's people like uh, Richard Pryor is different. He's he's one of the greatest, obviously. Yeah. But it's also it's Richard Pryor, and it's Kennison to where Leno's Leno. But he's also just an exaggeration of himself a little bit, where these guys are something else. Yeah, and I, and I, and it's hard to quantify. No, but it, I know exactly what you mean. Here's my funny Sam Kennison story. So I mean, he's been dead twenty or thirty years, and my mom called me. I kid you not, three years ago, and I'm like, "Hey, mom," and she goes, "I am so mad at you," and I'm like. Good God. My, you know, now? Now we finally yeah, what get, did I do? What did I do? Yeah, exactly. And uh, and mom goes, no, I was just watching, you know, HBO or something, and I saw Sam Kennison for the first time. I had no idea he was so foul-mouthed. You always clean those bits up for me. I used to tell all my friends that Sam Kennison's the funniest stand-up comedian. I now know why these little old ladies aren't calling me back. Dude, <laughs> yeah. no, he's funny though. You got to give it to him. He's funny. Yeah, but K- Kennison, uh, Kennison was the best. So you started doing stand up, and and then so stand up goes to in Living Color. 
I submit in living color one year. I don't get it, but the guy's very encouraging. He goes, it's green. He goes, dude, it's funny, but it's really green. Okay. And I'm furious at that. <laughs> Fucking furious. <laughs> Fucking green. Fuck this, man. <laughs> and the one sketch, it was, it was, and this is, we're talking 91. It's a Star Trek convention and two guys get hookers was one of the sketches. I And the guy really liked that one. And it was uh, just nerds getting a hooker at a Star Trek convention. And, but he, but it's green, that motherfucker. It's green, isn't it? Really, green. Okay. Well, and and I'm interesting. What what does green actually mean? Just, uh, that, I mean, it's like corn, green, green corn. You don't eat it. Okay. Almost. This is going to be good someday. Right now, I'm not so good. Not That's so what good. it means. Okay, fair enough. Fair it enough. means uh, unripe. How about that? Okay. What is that? Okay. It's just a little raw, and it's it could become something. So gotcha. that's what green okay. means. And, dude, here's what a prick I am. I've used that on numerous people later in life. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, you notice I wrote that shit down. I'm using it later. Yeah, dude, no, but, and, and I would always preface it with, okay, I'm going to tell you something someone told me that made me furious. So. Right. Buckle up. <laughs> and uh, so then I get on In Living Color in 93 or 94. Right. And, dude, that's a great experience. Jamie Foxx was on the cast. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's, dude, he's an amazing dude. Is he? He, so he's in Dallas. Uh, and then he comes to L.A., and he's going to black clubs, and then he's passing out fucking, uh, th hey, man, I'm doing this club. If you like me, man, call the club and make sure you tell him. And then he would call the club 14 <laughs> times in 14 <laughs> different voices and to make it. And they were super mean to him when he first started in Living Color. The Waynes brothers were, like, mean to him and didn't wasn't accepting. And he was not mean to people when he was the top dog with Jim Carrey when I was right. there. and But he did point out that hey, this motherfucker crying. Look at that guy crying over his sketch getting cut. Dude, this guy never would have lasted if Keenan was here. I'm fucking <laughs> nice compared to what everybody else was to me. But so I met him Lemmy Color, and Jim Carrey, number one movie, uh, Ace Ventura, Ventura, Pet Detective. And... The mask is getting ready to come out, and he brings a preview of the mask. He goes, hey, here's a trailer for the new one I'm doing. Right. And, dude, you look at that trailer, and you just go, oh, this <laughs> is going to be a monster hit. And so he is scheduled to come back for one more year, the biggest comedy movie star at the time. Right. And they fucking canceled the show. Fox is like, man, we this is run its course. No, that guy, that guy's in every. Uh, okay, so then I go write for John Leguizamo's show after that. So this is '94. I just got married, right? And which, by the way, we got to bring it back to Charlie because your wedding over on Love It, uh, yeah, the, the Love It House or whatever, Love It was. House over in Houston. One of the single funniest Charlie moments of all time, because me and Kim are at the wedding. We go to the reception. We're sitting there. And your little nieces and nephews, like, if I had a drink and I set it down, they were stealing it and drinking yeah. it. And your brother, Charlie, was running around telling your mom, 
Mom, these kids are boozing. He was ratting out your niece and nephews. It was great. But anyway, so where do you go next? From there, it was The Tonight Show. Yeah, how do we get to Leno? So I, my favorite stand-up is Leno. Just no one funny. And, like, if people didn't see him do stand-up and they just saw The Tonight Show, they don't have an inkling of how brilliant he is, you know? One off the cuff, him and Colin Quinn are easily the funniest human beings I've ever met in my life. Oh, that's that's uh, that's uh, that's really interesting because, you know, I've seen I've seen Leno do stand up once. He came through Houston, but uh, you know, my my like blazing memory of of Leno is being on Good Times when he was talking oh, about venereal disease. <laughs> I can't really get that out of my head, you know. But uh, no, he was not, nah, dude. He. And still is so funny. But just the art of stand-up, knowing better, learn so much from him. He talks to the crowd like they're his hip, smart friend. Right. And it's such a brilliant uh, way to personify what you want to get across. And it's such a great learning tool. That's how you should be as a teacher or anytime you're trying to communicate information or anything, if you could do it with humor. It always helps. And he, you were always, he would point out something in society. And it was like, yeah, me and you get it. Right. But a lot of dummies are falling for Have you seen this? That guy. Yeah. And so that was fun, man. That was. Well, and you know what was interesting is because Charlie went out and spent some time with you while you were on, on uh, late night. And I, you know me, I'm the celebrity stalker. I'm that guy. And uh, I was all like, what's Leno like? What's Leno like? And uh, and what Charlie said is, you know, Leno got on the phone calling your parents when For Charlie was out there. Yeah. yeah. And, I and was, get... so Leno was not just this brilliant stand-up, but just a great guy, according dude, to Charlie. W- dude, no. One of the greatest human beings. So Charlie, so we go, Leno, good businessman too. He uh, Ratings are low in a city. He'll we'll fly to that city and do a bit right around that city. Like, so San Antonio, they're trying to boost ratings. So we flew to San Antonio and did a bit, like one of those jaywalks in front of the Alamo. And, right. And so we do that. And so my parents drive down from Austin because I go, yeah, me and Leno, we're coming down this weekend and we're doing me and Leno. There's a whole crew. <laughs> <laughs> me and Leno. Me and Jay. Me and Jay. We got uh, a thing. We're doing a thing. Me and Jay just grabbed the camera. And <laughs> there, so well, there's like five of us and we go down. And so my parents go down to meet Jay. And then they bring my aunt and uncle who live in San Antonio. And so we're at the studio, whatever the NBC affiliate is in San Antonio, and we're there. And Charlie's there, but Charlie stands back because he just wants my parents to have fun, and he's not doing anything. And so Jay talks to my parents for five minutes, and is like, all right, we got to go. We got to go. We got to get out of here. And then uh, we get in the car, the van, and we're driving. And as we do the circle to drive back, Leno turns to me and goes, yeah, it would have stayed longer, but there was that fat hippie hanging out 
and it was just giving me some bad vibes. I go, no, that was my brother Charlie. And so he goes, oh, we got to call and tell him that. So I go, hey, man. And then Jay goes, yeah, I just saw this hippie hanging. I go, no, I was a fat hippie. Don't, 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 don't sugarcoat it now. I was the fat hippie. But he really, he didn't know who Charlie was, and Charlie's just standing back because it's at the, the my parents and Charlie are the only ones there, and Charlie's just standing back hanging. That's awesome. That's so. So the two things that immediately come to mind because Charlie would always kind of do the topical Texas humor because he was yeah. You know, he gets up there and he says, "Yeah, I went into San Antonio and I asked, you know, hey man, where's the Alamo?" And the guy goes. <laughs> Well, it's right down this road. Take a right. Take a left on this road. It'll be right there across the street from the Pizza Hut. So it's it's like, I'm going to miss the Alamo, but I'll see those. I'm you know, a the fat red guy. Roof. <laughs> As a fat guy, I'll see the red roof of the Pizza Hut from miles away. So, uh, yeah. Then it have also, you go by a chocolate building, a chocolate-covered <laughs> building. All right, I'm a fat guy. I know what the Alamo looks like. I get that. I get that. So how do we get to Saturday Night Live? So I get SNL. And this is 90s, the summer of 97. Okay. And it's really cool. And it's just rebounded. They had that bad year in like 94 where Chris Farley and Adam Sandler and just everybody turned on the fucking show in 94 Saturday night dead. (laughs) And then it's just starting to rebound. Sherry O'Terry's there. Will Ferrell's there. Tim Meadows, Anna, Molly, uh, Daryl Hammond. So they got a good cast and then they bring in new people. I come in with Fallon, Jimmy Fallon, Horatio Sands and Chris Parnell. Oh, wow. And so we all come in. And here's a story for you. First person to introduce himself to me, Will Ferrell. Nice. First, the sweetest, one of the greatest human beings I've ever met in my life. Really? That's cool to hear. But he comes in and he goes, hey, where are you from? I go, Houston. He goes, the Houston-Galveston area? I go, yes, I am from the Houston-Galveston area. And his old man played bass for the Righteous Brothers. No way. Okay, I didn't know that. And Will Ferrell is... Uh, just one of the greatest human beings I've ever met to where he's a good guy. He, uh, he doesn't trash talk people, Okay, but he will fucking call a spade a spade in a heartbeat where yeah, that guy's kind of a dick. Like, really? like won't go on about it, but yeah, I don't know about that guy. Like, like, like not one of the holy rollers who, well, everybody's great and everybody, yeah. those people just, oh, they now, wear me out. Now, did you see it, though, with Farrell? Because, you know, I can fancy myself a great judge of talent and all that sort of stuff. I did not see Will Farrell, the movie actor, from watching Saturday Night Live. You, you know, know what I mean? At the, at, dude, at the read-through, yeah, you saw it. Really? Okay. Because we would read I mean, he was sketches. funny on Saturday Night Live, nah, but yeah, I mean, just... dude, no. The, the guy left alone with a camera on the ESPN Awards, I didn't see that coming out of Saturday Night Live, you know? Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, it, it was it was there, it, especially if you saw him work. Okay. And that was, uh, but he was the first guy to introduce me. But no, we there would be, the read-throughs on Wednesday, 
So they have, um, you read 40 sketches, and they only pick 12. Right. And so it would be 20 the first half and 20 the second half. He would read sketches, and this made me furious at him too, that weren't funny, that he made funny because he would sell it. And he would do every sketch 100%. Oh, really? And there would be like, and I would be going, oh, man, you no, this sketch sucks. Don't make it funny. What are you doing? And what was, what was behind that? Was it just kind of to prove the point? Was it him being even funny? Because the one thing that I learned from from hanging out with you and hanging out with Mike Ferrucci the last eight yeah. years, who comes in and writes the YDC roast, and hanging out with Jeff Ross, because I always pick Ross up at the airport the night yeah. before the roast, and we hang out and we write jokes for the, for the roast is – What's interesting about comedians is when you sit around and you write stuff, you don't laugh. You just point at each other. That's funny. Yeah, that's you a know, good one. You know, that's yeah. a good one. That's a good one. And you write it down and all that sort of stuff. So was he doing it to why, – why was he doing that? Just because he's an actor and this is his job and he's going to okay. sell it. Okay. He would do other things too. Like if the crowd didn't like a sketch, he did one where they were all fighting around Thanksgiving dinner. I think it was Sarah Michelle Geller was the host. And it was like they would all, the whole family, it would be quiet and just curt. Pass the peace, please, here. And then all at once, they all three would explode. I'm trying to work a job. I drive a Yugo, goddammit. <laughs> and so they would all do that. So the sketch didn't work. And it ends with uh, Will scraping the leftovers off his plate and dude the sketch didn't work and old will ferrell took a good 40 seconds at the end of the sketch just to fucking just sat there and milk the silence <laughs> oh it was it's so amazing to see that like your instincts run run get out of here as <laughs> right. quick as possible oh you fuckers didn't like this okay watch this i'm just gonna own it <laughs> <laughs> just fucking oh it's so brilliant and then after it's over i'm filled with adrenaline from just having watched it he, wa he walks by and goes ah, that was pretty funny <laughs> fucking that's it doesn't think about it for another second doesn't bother him oh, no dude awesome. he's so brilliant i mean to watch him do read-throughs really yeah no just amazing yeah because you know so i was up in new york at one point when you were up there and you yeah. gave me the tour yeah and, and uh and the the thing that two things struck me one it's tiny yeah I mean, it's that's much state, smaller than yeah, you would ever imagine yeah i mean it's really tiny it's really small and the other thing were all sort of the backstories you were telling me about just life there. So, yeah. you know, Adam Sandler walking down the hall with a pencil shoved up his ass. Yeah, those are before I got there. But yeah, those are those are I got through Fred Wolf. Just no craziness. The Chevy Chase uh, picture that's hanging on the wall where he's got the, oh. the script <laughs> rolled up, got the script rolled up like it's his penis. I guess dude, that'll get past the sentence. Dude, that guy, like everybody talks about how he was hated or whatever. 
Dude, that Chevy Chase, in my opinion, uh, just just does everything to be funny. And usually his move is a prick funny. Right. But, uh, like, the first time I met him, I think, it was at, I was in an office on the eighth floor, and the show's going on, and he's in there, and I think Aykroyd's in there, and Donna Dixon. And I'm, I'm like, lowest man on the totem pole. Right. And uh, at some point, he goes, uh, I got to take a piss. He stands up in front of me. He goes, open your mouth. <laughs> Dude, that's funny. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I understand how people would go, hey, fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah. what, he, what, he was going to piss in your mouth. No, he wasn't going to piss in my mouth. But he was letting me know he was higher on the totem pole <laughs> than I was. And I had to appreciate it. Uh, so, I mean. But no, that was the funnest part of working at SNL is getting able to bring people up there, and because it's the coolest job ever. There will never be a, a better job. I will never have a better job working for someone else than I did at SNL. The uh, yeah, no, that was uh, that was really cool getting to see. Because the the thing that the thing that hit me about it was walking around that place. I mean, it was just sacred. I mean, right? Dude, that is. is holy ground for 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 comedy. I mean, all of the 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 moments that have happened there, all the talent that's gone through there. I Dude, mean, you could feel it. It if, it's like playing for the Yankees, man. Yeah, exactly. This is fucking. I mean, dude, and I was intimidated. And I had been writing ten years, maybe. Right. Uh, not ten years. Okay, six years. Yeah, whatever. And. We, but we, yeah, my, we confuse six for ten on the Chuck Pod all the yeah, time. Yeah, it exactly. took me probably three shows to get my sea legs. Yeah, and I and I and I had some uh, cred behind me. Yeah, but it, it's still very intimidating. But once you get in the zone, or once you once it clicks, you know, once you get comfortable, yeah. It, it, it's back to normal. So but, give me a give me a Lorne Michaels story. I mean, God, um, I mean the guys what almost fifty years there. Has it been that yeah, long? Yeah, it's probably fifty years, dude. You know what? The one thing that no one ever talks about is he's super funny. Really, Lauren is super funny and like a master, like writing a monologue. So this guy would write. Anti, very Chevy Chase anti monologues. Uh, thank you very little, you know, that right. type of wordplay or whatever. So he wrote this sketch about Joan Allen being in Steppenwolf. Okay. But the joke is she's in the band Steppenwolf and not the Steppenwolf Theater, which is this famous theater in Chicago that she came from. Okay. And so. And the guy's the king of anti-jokes. And you have to watch the sketch during dress with Lauren. And I'm next, so I'm waiting. And the guy's sitting there, and Lauren's watching the sketch. And he goes, wow, the monologue is killing. Oh, wait, it's not. <laughs> so he took the guy's own joke and gutted him with it to where I had to go, man, that's well done. The Well, and that was interesting when you you had told me that that you as the writer have to be next to Lorne in the booth when when so dress filming. rehearsal. There's a show at eight o'clock. Okay, it's like an extra twenty minutes, and there's extra sketches, and you have to sit next to Lauren during dress, and you're watching on a monitor underneath the bleachers, and and it's uh, and if he's in a good mood, it can go good. If he's in a bad <laughs> mood. 
What the fuck? Is the red shirt co-starring in the sketch? Why is he wearing a fucking red shirt? <laughs> and as petty as that is, you look at it, you go, yeah, that is too fucking bright for this scene. Like, the guy's just brilliant. But, yeah, you would sit there, and he could be pissy. Right. You know, just like anyone. Man, of course. Yeah, I've been doing this 30 years. Who are you, punk? Right. And, uh, but... Dude, yeah, you would sit there and he would tell you about your sketch and what was wrong with it. <laughs> and I got to say, most times you'd have to go, yeah, that was very writerly. That, that was when you would get burned. <laughs> it's kind of green. I and then another, another great one was uh, he was talking about this guy. And I'll, I'll use you as the example to spare whoever. Uh, right. He goes, yeah, Chuck has two moves. We're still waiting to see the second one. <laughs> to where you go, and yeah, man, that's funny. I'm sure you used it on Al Franken too, but yeah, still, exactly. still worth worth recycling that one, buddy. Exactly. Now he's brilliant. He's amazing. So, what was your favorite bit you did? Um, uh, I wrote the Christmas Kangaroo for Hugh Jackman, which was great, and it was how people in Australia celebrate christmas and you have to fight a kangaroo for your presence and if you win you get presents but if you don't the cam the kangaroo sodomizes you so <laughs> <laughs> and so that was one of my favorites i used to write safari planet with uh brian fellow safari planet with right. tracy morgan Right. And Tim Hurley started it. He's the one who wrote the character, and I wrote the first one with him. And then he left the show, and then I would write all the other ones after him. And I shared an office with Tracy for two or three years, which was oh, did you really? heaven. And Tracy's not a big writer. And uh, he would come in every week, and he'd go, T, you got me covered this week? <laughs> yeah, man, nice. I got you covered. Because I love writing for Tracy. He was He's another one of those electricity. There's just electricity, like a Chris Kattan or a, right. And there's something about him that just there's an electricity to it. And I would write for him, and it was a blast. But he, they took his keyboard to his computer because someone's broke, and they took it like the second week of the uh, season, which is like September. And in April, he was doing a comedy special, and he had a guy come up who was going to help him write. And, uh, T, wh where's my keyboard? I go, yeah, I don't know, Tracy. They, they took it like, I don't know, six months ago. How am I supposed to write if I don't have a keyboard? Oh, that's awesome. Well, well, I don't know. That you haven't noticed it's been missing would be one thing I would bring up. That's awesome. That's awesome. So the uh, give me one give me one other highlight from uh, from Saturday Night Live. Okay, so because I mean, we could probably do. Okay, this so all Neil day, Young but... is the musical guest. Okay, love Neil Young, right? Oh, Neil Young. How do you not love Neil Young? Sure, he's Canadian. He's <laughs> brilliant. So I become friends with a guy who's in Neil Young's band, Crazy Horse. Okay, he is a music producer at the Tonight Show. Okay. For Kevin Eubanks. He sets up all the instruments and does all that shit. And that's his side gig when Crazy Horse isn't playing. So, and me and Poncho become very good friends. And so, Neil's on the show. Love Neil Young. 
so we're doing the announcements. I'm the guy. I was I was the writer who had to sit out there when they would be go uh, the promos. We'd be hi. I'm John Goodman. I'm Neil Young, and this week we're hosting Saturday Night Live. Those little right. five second things. Yeah. So we're doing those, and it's me, Neil Young, and John Goodman on stage. That's it. And okay. so we've done one, and. I go, do you want to talk in these, Neil? No, I'm good. Okay, so Neil's not talking. Right. And then, okay, give us five minutes to reset. So it's five minutes. Wow. Okay, that's cool. Just me and Neil Young alone. And so I go, hey, Neil, uh, Poncho told me to tell you hi. And Neil Young goes, yeah, I got to call him. And then we sit for five minutes in complete <laughs> silence. How do you know Poncho? When did you talk to Poncho? Yeah. What is, you know Poncho? Nope. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I got to call him. Yeah. <laughs> and then we both just sit there silently for five fucking minutes. I'm like, I got no other bait. That's the only bait I had that I put in the water hoping to get a nibble. Nope, nothing. That's awesome. That's awesome. That was fun. But, uh, yeah, no, there were so many good times. Ladies and gentlemen, normally at this point, we always like to close the show with five questions. Unfortunately, after reading this for a straining order, it appears that I think only two questions have made the air tonight. So. The five questions. Question number two that I wrote before we uh, obviously did the pod today, so I think I know what you're going to answer, but question number two, who's funnier, Tina Fey or Jay Leno? Jay Leno, not even close. Not even close? T no, I mean, and that's not saying Tina Fey's not super funny. Not even close. Not even close? Not even close, in my opinion. That's interesting. That's interesting. And Tina Fey's very funny, but yeah. I think, now, the debate would be Jay Leno, Colin Quinn, and I got to go Colin Quinn because I think he's the funniest human being on the planet Earth. Really? Dude, smart and funny and, um, yeah, just amazing. Just amazing. The uh, If you ever watch, if you can find the movie Comedian, he does the director's track with Seinfeld. And it is so informative about comedy and life, and it is, it is genius. Really? Okay. It is, and it's the director's cat track. And the best part is the first ten minutes of the movie, he's eating a muffin or something. <laughs> they obviously have food in the booth, and you hear stuff getting unwrapped, and you hear him eating. But him talking, he. He so it shows they're watching the movie and then it shows Jerry in a private plane. And Seinfeld's like, well, yeah, I didn't know if I would. Yeah, I was worried about doing, you know, showing that I'm flying in private planes. And Quinn goes, dude, it's your life. I mean, that's that's who you are. I mean, there's no reason to hide it. And you're not bragging about it. It's just who you are. And in the footage, it cuts to Jerry Seinfeld on a beach all alone with his family. And then Quinn goes. I'm not sure I would have cut to the private beach in the next <laughs> shot. That doesn't make you look good. But, yeah, the private plane, I have no problem with. 
but to hear him just do the commentary on that with Seinfeld and how much he makes Seinfeld laugh, dude, yeah, uh, just brilliant, that guy. But yeah, and nothing, and again, nothing against Tina Fey because she's super funny. I just don't. There's very few people I would put in that category. Interesting, interesting. So now we got to do math. Okay. So question three. I'm pretty question, good at math. My dad was an engineer. You, I know. We're uh, we're gonna do some math, and what we're gonna do is forty-seven percent. Forty-seven percent. Nine and a half inches. <laughs> that was I hung out with Ron Jeremy once. And everything, if you ever asked him a question, he would just go nine and a half inches. <laughs> oh, he wore you out, that guy. So I I bumped into Ron Jeremy in the LAX airport, and I walked up and I said, hey, didn't even finish my sentence. He says, go ahead and get your picture. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I took, a, uh, I took a picture with Ron Jeremy, and I had it up on the website, chuckyatesneedsajob.com. Yeah. And my best friend Fish texted me, let's go ahead and take that one down. <laughs> we can just, you can have all your B-grade celebrity uh, pictures up. Let's take down Ron. So Jeremy. I lived at the Chelsea Hotel when I was in New York. Right. Yeah. And my next door neighbor was Ron Jeremy's stepdaughter. One of, Again, and I hate to keep belittling these uh, things, one of the greatest human beings I've ever met, this lady, Venice. Okay. And... So every once in a while, Ron would come and stay with her, and he would destroy her bathroom. <laughs> so she finally is like, hey, you're not fucking shitting in my house anymore. <laughs> and on the first floor, we're on the second floor. On the first floor, there was a communal bathroom where, like, three rooms shared a bathroom. And she made him go down to that bathroom. <laughs> so he's narcoleptic. He goes down there to take a shit and falls asleep. And somebody gets up at like four in the morning to pee and they open the door and there's just this nude Ron Jeremy sitting on the toilet. And they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> so then Ron wasn't allowed to use that bathroom anymore either. Okay. The beauty is I don't even think you could have made that story. No, up. I couldn't. I mean, what, how could I make that up? And that's like... why we hung out when we hung and we would hang out. Cause I knew his, uh, Stepdaughter, and uh, but just dude, he would wear you out with jokes. He was zinging them the whole time, and it was just like, Uncle, really? you're not that funny. I'm around funny people all the time, and they don't try to be funny, they're just naturally funny human beings. Of all the things the porn star wants to be, is the comedian. Yeah, I'm I a like comedian, that. <laughs> I'm zany. All right, so let's do some math, okay? And it's a greater than. I'm okay. going to give you two things. Okay. You choose which is the greater. So, number one, the number of Oscars won for best director, and this is cumulative, all of the people together. Number of Oscars won for best directing by Orson Welles, Alfred Hitchcock, Paul Thomas Anderson, Spike Lee, and Christopher Nolan. Okay. So total all that up. Uh huh. What is greater, that or the number of Oscar-winning actors you have directed in your career? Um, I will say I don't think Hitchcock ever won. I don't think Orson Welles ever won. 
I'll say maybe me directing Oscar-winning actors. That is true. In film. In film. In film, no less. That is true. On stage at SNL would probably be much higher. Wouldn't even be close. (laughs) I didn't even think of Saturday Night Live on stage when I yeah when I'm I trying did to it. think of who would uh, who would have hosted that won an Oscar I'm sure uh, oh uh, Renee Zellweger did she win one I don't know that I think she did but I do know you're right Wells Hitchcock Anderson Lee and Nolan although I thought Spike Lee just won one didn't he or was I that a lifetime achievement award that might be lifetime. but anyway give us your story about directing an Oscar winning actor. Okay, so it's Cuba Gooding Jr. Uh, dude would go out and party every night and was on set at 10 a.m., baby. Really? Dude, pro. Real what, pro. What are you directing him in? Give the Harold. Give, give okay, the, the show's Harold. It's about a kid. Tell us the Harold story. Okay, so Harold is a 12-year-old boy with male pattern baldness. <laughs> and it starts because my brother Pat shaved... Two of my nephew's heads, who were like eight and ten, into male pattern baldness at the family reunion, and and Pat gets up. Well, it looks like the uh, the baldness gene has been passed down in this family. Come on, here's the latest victims, and these two little kids show up with their heads shaved, and they're having the best time, and they think it's funny. Turns out their dad, my brother-in-law, was not such a big fan of the haircut. And so he goes them to get the rest of their head shaved the next day. And he takes a picture of the kid outside the barbershop. I want you to remember how stupid you look. And the kid's almost in tears. And he's got these big glasses on and his little bottom lip is sticking out. It was the funniest picture you've ever seen. And so me and my friend Greg Fields wrote a movie, and it's just about this kid who moves to a new town and no one knows how to accept him. <laughs> and and Cuba Goody Jr. plays the uh, school janitor who befriends the kid and helps him through, like his mentor. And we when we wrote it, we wrote it with uh, Bill Murray in mind, just a Bill okay. Murray character. Or whatever. Right. And that helps you writing. You just picture someone. Yep. So... And then we get Cuba, and then it's uh, he's playing a janitor. He's like the hero of the film. He's very he's like an off. He's a weirdo mentor who's who's a good dude. Right. And um, so while I'm filming this movie, my friend Sophia Chang is the manager of Wu Tang Clan. Okay. And so she invites me to a Wu-Tang recording session. So I go over there, and I'm sitting in with the Wu-Tang clan. And she goes, hey, he's the, this is my friend. He's directed a movie with uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. He's the star of the movie. Yeah, what role does he play? I'm not going to say janitor <laughs> to the Wu-Tang clan. <laughs> He's playing the president. And I go, I just go, oh, he's the kid's mentor. He's the kid's mentor, which is what he is. But it was very awkward when I'm getting ready. He's a janitor, Wu-Tang Clan. Nice. And so, but dude, so professional, so cool. He amazing human being. He's had some legal problems. But to me, an amazing human being, charming, 
I remember one day we were running late, and the kid, the kid uh, Spencer Breslin, who's his sister's Abigail, who went on for big thing, and Spencer was in a ton of shit too. And his dad comes over. We're running late because of Cuba, and because kids can only work like six hours a day, right. or whatever. And so, what are you gonna do about it? I go, uh, hold on, I'm a first-time director. Do you want me to go yell at the guy who's got an Oscar? <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. Let's just go bummer. Your kid's going to wait a little longer, and I'm sorry. And I wish there was something I could do, but I really can't, you know? He's doing this movie for us. He didn't take a lot of money. Yeah, no, he did us a giant – He got the movie got made because of Cuba Goody Jr., uh, the main reason. Right. There were other people who it got made because of. But, dude, the best. Just a sweet human being. Can we find Harold anywhere? It's on. I think you can get it on Amazon for like three bucks. Okay, cool. And it's a solid little movie. No, it is. And it's it is. Uh, it's a weird market. Uh, and I'll tell you this. It was the top uh, grossing comedy per screen movie that year. I mean, that's that week it came out. It was the top per screen it was on four screens, but it was the top per screen movie comedy that nice. week it came out. So nice. If you want to spin shit to make it sound better than it was, but hey, man, we're all about that in the energy business, dude. It is exactly. So the funniest Tshawn joke. Okay, uh, it's know. the dumpster joke that Charlie did as well. I think is well that, that that's a really good joke. But you guys used to do the Shannon Brothers Christmas, Christmas show. Yeah, that was fun. That was hysteric. And the two things that I and and what was always so funny about that is I always wanted my parents to come, but something always happened to where they couldn't. Like my grandmother would get sick, they got in a car wreck. So my mom got to the point of just don't tell us. Okay. You know, we just don't tell us it's happening. Call us at the last minute and pick us up. But the two things I always loved about those that I think are the two funniest things. Uh, that you used to do were one top 10 things about Christmas, Christmas that, that sound, sound dirty, dirty but aren't and up the chimney with old St. Nick. I mean, that's just <laughs> a rump-a-pum-pum, <laughs> the Yuletide log. Yeah. Figgy pudding. And we won't go until we get some. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, and the little drummer boy where it was the, that was the other, that was the end of the, the little drummer boy who performed for Jesus at the manger. And it would be like, uh, Hey, I'm still putting BC on my checks. Anyone else? And the beauty of that joke, because that was the second one I was going to yeah, say. Was it really? That was exactly the second one. It's a throwaway line that the audience never caught until about 30 seconds later. Yeah. And then you would kind of hear the hear the fo hear the folks laugh. But it was like, I don't know about you, but I'm still putting BC on my <laughs> checks. And then also, uh, I'm staying at the Hotel VI down the street. Anybody else? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to end on a good Hal Wilner story. Lay it on So us. I'm at SNL, and Hal Wilner is this producer, very unique, does all these things, and he produced a lot of Lou Reed albums. And so Hal Wilner's having his 50th birthday party. It's a surprise party. And we're all meeting at this bar, and there's only about 40 of us there. And, okay, Hal's getting ready to come in. Everybody get near the door. And I end up standing right next to Lou Reed. And just to hear his sardonic, 
surprise <laughs> was one of the greatest joys in my life. <laughs> Just to, you can't even enjoy this. You have to be <laughs> you have to be cantankerous over your friend's <laughs> surprise birthday party. Just the way surprise. <laughs> Dude, that was a cool moment. <laughs> I really, really was. Am I here? Did I really <laughs> see that? There's Lou Reed and he was really Lou Reed saying the word surprise. It was one word, but I could have recognized That's it if I heard it. <laughs> surprise. Is that Lou Reed? What? Yeah. That's awesome. That was fun. Tishon, you're great to do this, Thank man. you for having me. Oh, absolutely, dude. It's so good to see you again. It's been way too long. We'll be back in two weeks where the pod will cover great achievements in energy finance by really short people. I'm Chuck Yates. I'm out. <laughs>